Welcome to Rich in Life, a podcast for anyone looking to be entertained while picking up a few tips on life, luxury, and resilience. And now your host, Rich Irani. Hey, Todd, how are you? Good, how are you doing today? I'm doing great now that I see you. It's uh, been nice forever. <laughs> nice to see you there. Thank you. How come I hear an echo, Pilar? I hear an echo. Do you hear it, Todd? Uh, it sounds okay to me. I'm oh, it does? I'm hearing an echo. I'm hearing when you speak. Can you hear it when I speak too? No, I don't hear the echo when you speak, only when I speak. Okay. Hello? Testing? Oh. Yeah, I think it sounds okay. I cannot hear it. You just fixed it, Brad. He's good for something. Brad is good for something. <laughs> <laughs> so, Todd, you probably don't even know this. I've known you for so long and you don't even know it. I've been to your shows. I've carried uh, your shoes. I've seen you uh, in New York City. And it was always, it always felt like home seeing, you know, the American designers, especially you, because you were a part of New York City. Oh, well, thank you. That's so kind of you to say. I know you, listen, so were you. I mean, gosh, all those years of, of Chuckies, right? Yeah. Do you really know Chuckies or are you just being nice right now? No, I remember it very well. I mean, I've been a New Yorker for many, many years. Yeah. We were in Soho and uh, yeah, we had a store there. And yeah, I used to see you around everywhere. I never actually came up to say hello to you, but I will say your shows were so amazing. And we have to talk about that because that's oh. something that people today don't really, you know, they can't imagine what the shows were like back then with all the supermodels and it was a party. I mean, weren't they part between the music? Yeah. Well, no, the, the party, that's a perfect way to describe it. I mean, it was other, others considered it a very serious business as well, but uh, I always had a blast and for a designer, that was kind of your, you know, your moment that it all kind of came together for you. It was fun to see people wearing it in real life, but uh, those eight minutes on the runway were really pretty magical. Right. So before we go any further, I do want to introduce you because I have a habit of just jumping right in. So I'm here with the iconic American designer and author of many books, including the most recent Kid Made Modern series. He's also going to tell us about his new collaboration with Walmart, Sustainable Smarts and Crafts. I love that. I love that name. And so for me, the best way to describe Todd Oldham, that's who I'm with today, Todd Oldham, is a quote from Kim Astrier. Did I say her name right? She's the founder of Paper Magazine. Uh-huh. Yeah. She said, true. I always felt like he was an artist who accidentally became a fashion designer. He accidentally made clothes and it just ran away like tumbleweeds. But it was all one thing, art and fashion and furniture and photographs. That well, really yeah, does I, describe you. I kind of agree with that. Yeah, I, uh, my fashion career, actually, she says, you know, an artist that stumbled into fashion, but I... When I was a, a little boy, like around six or seven, there was a Three Stooges episode called Slippery Silks where the Three Stooges were plumbers and they got, they people thought that they were fashion, fashion designers. So they went ahead and put on a fashion show as plumbers. And when I saw that, it was like, oh my gosh, that spoke to me in such a way I never forgot. It was burned in my brain. And that's the way I always felt like a plumber that sort of stumbled into fashion design. So you had an interesting childhood from what I read. So you were born in Texas, you grew up in Texas, and then moved to Iran for about four years. Is that correct? Uh, yes, and we, we moved around a lot. Uh, that was kind of the most of my childhood was kind of going somewhere, which was super fun and great. It, it causes you to be very present, you know, because you're kind of wherever you are, there you are. You know, it's not like you're longing to be somewhere else because they're it wasn't there. Right. You what know, do we hear? I hear something. I hear, what do I hear dangling? 
This is on his beard. Oh, maybe that's rustling on your beard. Okay. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. Maybe. What if I took this one down and moved this to the side? A yeah. Little bit? Oh, actually, sorry, that's that better. will mess up your framing. Is that better? Yeah, actually. Yeah, I can, no, I, I can still hear, hear it. Do I still hear it? No. See, I don't. Okay. So yeah, so you did so you did travel around a lot, but then wound up after high school moving back to Texas, right? Yes, very briefly. Uh in uh I went up to this very small town that we just were there for a few months. And then I moved to Dallas, where which was pr proved to be really interesting. I got there in the very early 80s, and it was a wild time. You know, Texas is a really interesting place because it's full of magic and creativity and horror and judgment. It's this really kind of two worlds colliding all the times when um, certain parts rise up. But at the time, it was a really amazing creative place that was kind of battling the old ideas of Texas and these new wave kids that wanted something different. It was really and, a fun time. And you met your partner there, Tony. Is that correct? Yeah, 29, yes, and uh, my God, it's 1980. We've been together over 40 years. Wow, and nobody killed each other yet. This is true. I, I think we're probably smooth sailing from here. It would have happened, happened to be already. Yeah, I know. I'm proud of you. Brad and I are still struggling with, with that. We're together 21 years, but it feels oh, like 2100. Uh, thank you. <laughs> thank yes, you. Yes, it does. It becomes very, I, I don't know, after like two or three, it, it, might, it could be 100, 300. It, it's just, yeah, it runs yeah, together. It, it kind of goes on autopilot, right? After a certain amount of time, it's autopilot. The love really changes in a different way. Yeah, what's important, you know, shifts through through the times, but uh, the foundations are there. Kind of, it's it's good to, as it adapts, you know. Right. It's interesting being with somebody when you were. I mean, I was eighteen when I met Tony, so um, eighteen and my current age are not the same. Right. It's incredible. So you met him, and you guys um, stayed partners. I mean, you're together in a relationship, and you guys also work together. And mm -hmm. the fact that, you know, when I spoke to Tony on the phone, I spoke to him briefly. He's just such a calm, peaceful guy to talk to. I, he was very calming. So are you, by the way, which is oh, kind of interesting. He's, he's way more together than I. He, um, yeah, Tony's got a, you know, he's a very calm presence. He's got really good poker face. I have none. Uh, oh, really? So he's, it's, yeah, he's, he's good. He's been really good at business. Or he, he's a, a good diplomat. Um, and so the, the you know, it's tricky. It's, 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 it's all, there's all kinds of layers of being around. You know, so whose idea? Who is, so you've done everything. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I mean, you've done everything mm -hmm. from creating furniture, children's, uh, designing for children's, uh, whether it's uh, toys, bedding, books. I mean, you do everything. Was that Tony pushing you along or was that a little bit of both <laughs> of you? No, no, this is never the case. No, I'm usually, um, that causes so much confusion. So, so much confusion the way I switch lanes all the time. But to me, um, like you mentioned earlier, it's kind of one thing to me. But yeah. I realize to outsides people, it looks like I jump around a lot. Um, no, so, you know, they, um, I kind of, to, for me to breathe as a human and as a designer, I, I really, my interests are very fractured and prismatic. So I want to explore as much as I can. And about 10 years ago, we, I mean, I had a great run at, offering my ideas up to the public and thankfully they were I was always greeted so warmly you know it went super well but I kind of had this idea of trying to be more in service and figuring out why the you know I'm kind of a hothouse flower I was raised peculiar my, my parents are really amazing and uh, they were very young when they had me and my brothers and sisters and they just were we were constantly learning something they were so curious and they instilled that this you know constant way of of finding a new way, finding finding something, finding some information out, and um, 
that really stuck with me. And I started realizing, well, those things are, are missing today. And, and they benefited my life, my linear, the linear parts of my life and like the business parts and those things that all benefited that, which, you, you know, sometimes people understand how creativity and the side effects of that benefit other parts of humanity. So right. it was so they clear must, to me. Yeah, I'm sorry. It was clear to you. Yeah, it was clear to me. So we just really, the my whole team, and every, everyone was very happy to try to figure out how we can bring some joy and growth to the world. Well, let me tell you, you did such a great job. And I don't know, I mean, I still watch The Nanny every once in a while, especially Brad and I have <laughs> seven-year-old twins. So it's a very innocent show. Oh my show. gosh. <laughs> yes. So we have seven-year-old twins and, you know, I, I try to keep them, Brad and I try to keep them as innocent as we can for as long as we can. So, you know, we go to the old shows if we can. And the nanny is an easy one to find. And she's always wearing <laughs> your clothes. I mean, do yes, you... I, did that. I know you did. You did all those clothes. It was incredible. Did she come in for fittings, Fran Dresner, or did they borrow the clothes? How did that work? Well, yes, on all accounts. Yeah, Fran would come in after the collections and we'd try stuff on. We made stuff for... Uh, I'm actually her cousin on the show, cousin Toddy. Um, I so think she, you're right. I saw that episode. I saw yeah, every episode ten times. <laughs> you know that is so interesting in a funny way that shows sort of sitting in the world like I Love Lucy or something. Yes. It's like people like it really. It has it had a strange presence. It it hasn't gone off the air since it started running. You know, decades ago. It's also friend. Friend is quite lovely. And their messages were very, really advanced, even though, you know, we're to believe this, this nanny is right. traipsing around the kitchen in that $8,000 jacket. <laughs> yeah, but that's what made us all love it. That's yeah, what made well, us all love you know, it. She looked great in it, and she wore it like she had on sneakers and the slip clothes. So that's why that's why Fran works. It works on Fran. Right. You okay? Isn't, yeah, I'm great. Thank you. Isn't it crazy how your clothes are living on? I mean, decades mm -hmm. later, they're living on through the television show. I mean... I, I was never such a huge fan of color. I was not, you know, for myself, I couldn't wear color. I try to not buy too much for my kids. My daughter likes pink, but you did color so exquisitely. Oh, it was amazing. You. Yeah. And it was so, it was so noticeable. It was so identifiable. You knew that was Todd. Well, I think it's the color combinations and I like very specific hues. Um, the fashion industry at the time was run by Pantone. And, you know, like any, any custom colors, anything was give me your Pantone chip. And I thought, no, I'm going to give you the, my paint swatch or my faded piece of paper or whatever it was. And thank, thankfully, there's spectrometers that can do electronic readings and create formulas. But we, we were completely out of the industry systems. We made our own textiles. We made our own fabrics. Often it, like um, this drapery printer from the 1950s I resurrected. We were bringing back all these old industries. So we were very very much on the outside of the industry doing this stuff. I remember there was a scene in The Devil Wears Prada where they were looking at, I think, a Pantone color. And um, the character Meryl Streep was uh, telling Anne Hathaway, oh, right. you know, that color blue. <laughs> and it's funny, it, how realistic was that movie? Was I mean, because you well, were in it, I mean. It's, yeah, no, it's very realistic and also a complete cartoon at the same time. But, you know, the right. fashion industry is kind of a cartoon in, in a way. Um, but the the that... She's right about that color. That was a real, I remember the, the scene you're speaking of, and she's absolutely right about the, the influence of that color. And don't be so thinking that you don't, your influences are not coming from high above. Because right. it really is the way it is. In, in the most direct way, Pantone would sponsor the New York fashion shows at the time. We were required as designers to fill out the forms about the colors that we were using. So we were basically handing over this information 
to Pantone, I thought, wait a minute, that sounds like something you should pay me for. Right. So I just, exactly. I just wrote big beige and toast and loam and uh, right. all the colors that I would never use. But um, that's li literally is Pantone would get the colors from the fashion industry. Amazing. Also, the rumor was back then that you were Anna Wintour's darling. You were the darling. <laughs> they loved you. I mean, well, I mean everybody uh, has their moment in the, in the fashion industry. You know, people were very nice to me. I had a really good time. And I knew in my heart when it was time to move on and, and I could make choices as opposed to getting like run out of business or ground down. I, we, we, when we transition, well, transition is a weird word because we were doing all these things at the same time. Fashion is super noisy. So it was all over, like I, I did a dress was one thing, but I did a piece of furniture. It, it, it had caused a different kind of commotion. So fashion is just the nature of the beast is super, super loud. So right. that's why people remember all of that stuff. But I was doing all those other things. So when we stopped doing fashion, the whole team just, we just kept going. Yeah, and, and the Todd Oldham collection lasted 10 years, if I'm correct, right? Eight, 1989 yeah, to 1999. I did, yeah, I did it for about almost 10 years the way I wanted to do it. I mean, I had bits and bobs along the way and other, and other things. But this was kind of the way that it spoke to me, the way I, I knew the best way to do couture. The Which we set our own factory. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I'm sorry. You said you set your factory. What? We had our own. We made our own factory. We worked with our own artisans. We worked with the Vietnamese community uh, in Dallas to set up um, these arenas. It was really amazing. The people were so great to work with, and because we taught and did everything ourselves, it was we could do all these irregular things that no one else could do, like right. all those odd printings and dyings. And we, we spaced out our own yarns. It's crazy. Wow. You also did something that was uh, very interesting is you didn't work with real leather. You did the Stella McCartney no. thing before Stella McCartney. And in <laughs> fact, correct me if I'm wrong, you were criticized for it, weren't you? You had to hide the fact that you didn't want to use real leather, real furs. It was a big problem. Yeah, it's hard to imagine that that would get you in any sort of trouble at the time. But it did. It got me. People got very angry at me. Well, you know why? I mean, I tried not to. It's a choice. I tried just to say this was my choice. Unfortunately, it makes people nervous about their choices. And it's really, you can't defend outside of like being a contrarian. You can't really defend wearing those things, whatever your point right. of view is. But right. you know, I don't wear, don't, I don't personally wear leather or fur and I've never really used it. I used a little bit of leather in the beginning before I became aware of, of what it really is. Right. Um, and it, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a system that's so unhealthy and unnecessary and, Thankfully, uh, today, it's quite normal to not. I mean, just the amount of, of giant houses like Gucci that you would never in a million years think would stop using fur. Now, right. no longer uses it. I use it. And it's crazy because um, when Stella McCartney started, I remember Barney's picked up the clothing, but they wouldn't buy the handbags because they weren't leather. So for the first few years or seasons, I don't remember exactly, Barney's would not carry the um, the accessories from Stella McCartney because they weren't leather. So I remember the Falbella bag that we were blowing out of in the shop. I mean, we couldn't keep it in stock. And all I kept saying is better for us, they don't have the bags. But eventually they did. They, they folded and they- <laughs> Well, they people came it. around. Well, that's the shoes. My, my uh, The clothing was one thing, but when it came to the shoes, it was really a challenge because we used lots of silks and cottons and- uh, I got lined it in synthetics at times. We occasionally had to use leather, which just killed me. But it was kind of, we, we had a meeting about deciding whether we wanted to pull a bait and switch because it was with Neiman Marcus. <laughs> Neiman, Neiman Marcus had a huge, select, you know, a huge salon of our shoes there, which was really nice. But if we didn't do leather, there was no way they were going to get in there. So we unfortunately did a few leather bottoms on things that 
that got into the early collections, but we got into Neiman's right. and we started in switching and were able to do it. So I, I don't know. It's I, now that just sounds like bullshit justification to me. But at the time, it was like a, we had a plan. And it worked. Right. It, it, well, not only that, not only did it work, but you were ahead of the curve because, I mean, again, I'm going to say Stella McCartney, look at her. It started out to me, I thought, as a gimmick in a way. It just seemed like a gimmick, but she really stuck to her guns. A lot of people, you know, ridiculed her. Barneys wouldn't carry the bags. Certain customers wouldn't buy her stuff. And the argument for it was, why should non-leather shoes be so expensive? That was exactly. one of the biggest arguments I heard as a retailer. But from what I understood was it was so much more difficult to make with the fabric she was using for the couture customer. Well, the leather was actually cheaper, which is heartbreaking to think that life is cheaper than what could be mine. But you know what? We're speaking about a time when the world was very, very different. We we worked with uh, uh, ski manufacturers in Germany to make a lot of our synthetics and because they were the people that were so ahead of the curve. But the, th the thing about it is synthetics were like a cuss word at the time. So for us to use those polyesters right. and things, they were, we were getting it left and right for like, this is not how it's done. Um, but now it's completely normal. The, the, w there was like two, two possibilities in fake leather at the time. Ultra, ultra suede, an American company, ultra, uh, Springs Industry made ultra suede uh, and, uh, you know, for Halston in the 70s. And that was- I remember really that. Yeah, yeah. That's but now problem. nothing's a problem now. And it's like no, truly no big deal that something would be synthetic or that fur would be synthetic. Yeah. So I'm curious, what do you think of fashion today? And I know that's a loaded question, but, you know, I've been in the fashion business for, you know, as long as I can remember, you know, the last 30 years plus, maybe 35 years. And it's gone through so many changes. Um, mm -hmm. I look at it now and I just find that there's um so much of everything. There's an abundance of everything at every price point. Everyone knocks each other off at different price points. So, you know, I have my own view. I want to ask you what you think of fashion today. How do you, do you ever feel like you, you know, missed staying in the game longer? What do you think of it today? No, I have never once had a moment of regret uh, about leaving when I did. It felt, uh, this is my dog, Eve. Um, Hi, Eve. It's the, uh, I, I knew it was the time you know, it was a choice. No one made me. So I was really, and it was a lot to give up. Uh, I recognize on paper the insanity of it. But when you, you know, I've always kind of erred on the being overly, I don't know, a little sensitive about what I do. And I, I just don't want to fake stuff. So right. I, I, I thought it would just, everything was just more. And then the idea of like every six months, you try to render what you just did obsolete. It's just weird. You know, and, and I've, I've been kind of the same size since I was about 16, I guess. And so my clothes are all the same. It's like, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't ditch a wardrobe and I still have the same, you know, for like five, 40 year old shirts. It's just, I don't know. It's really foreign if you don't think like that. And now today, oh my God, there, here we are drowning between all these big retailers. Like, you know, there's the giant box retailers. We're just drowning in, in poly cotton blend crap. It's just there's just so much of it. The problem is there's so much of it. And everyone today is a designer, any reality star, any celebrity, any singer. Mm -hmm. There's no more crafts. In other words, you know, I, I have friends who designed that went to school and had, you know, bleeding fingers from draping and pinning. That doesn't exist anymore. It just doesn't seem to exist. Yeah. It's all a money machine. They throw everything against the wall to see what's going to stick. Well, I guess it's how you enter it too. Unfortunately, you know, Fashion design is very, like I said, very noisy, which is if you're a little bit fame hungry, oh my God, welcome. Like it's a, right. the moth to that flame is a nut job. 
for the for the most part, unless you're there for the, the the craft, which pretty much all the people that I still you know admire were people. Many of them were people that were working when I was back in the day. So, and those people put in their dues and they understand. You know, fashion designers are very very sophisticated people. If they've done it right, they probably have more world understanding of culture and history than just about any other field outside of you know tra traditional historians. But we fashion designers blend blend ideas and concepts and duality is kind of the way so we're a new, we are a unique group it's just there aren't that many of them that are like that it's like that if, if you're in there because you want to be famous just oh right God. well i don't think there are many left is what the problem there's there's really not many left i mean i remember all the great american designers back in the day it was you uh mark uh, donna karen uh Ralph Lauren, Isaac Mizrahi. I mean, these were all great fashion shows. The energy was great. There was just something, um, there was something real about it. It didn't seem like everything, you know, today there's a million designers. You know, I don't have to tell you in the last 10 years how many people uh, email me with collections or try to make an appointment for brand new designer collections. How many shoes can a store have over <laughs> five or $600? I mean, how many? Yeah, and then you get, it's just a very, I don't know, maybe it's priorities change, everything. I don't want to sound old person-y, but, you know, you do see these. It's just a really interesting shift of priorities. Plus, you know, I think back, I did a ton of very, very tall, high-heeled shoes. And now as uh, from the, the view from this side, that's one of the few things I'm regretful for. I cannot believe I thought that was a good idea for women to subject to the themselves high to that. Just to, to bend your body into crazy things. I know people really love them and it brings them lots of joy, but honestly, that's... That's just crazy to me. Yeah. Well, my motto was, as long as I don't have to wear them. So <laughs> well, I would buy yeah. them. If that's what they wanted, I was giving it to them. As long as I don't have to wear them. That, I, made sure my, I made sure that my shoes always had nice, thick inner soles in them. So I was walking <laughs> on nice cotton yeah, as I, I was, I, I as I was selling the six-inch heels. It was uh, crazy. Everything else I, I designed, I'm pretty psyched about still. But I look at those. I, I, I recognize them as well-designed objects. But it's like, wow, how did we all agree that this was a good idea? And we were like, some of them were like, well, you know, here's, here's how it worked. Yeah, but here's how it worked. You couldn't get anything. I mean, if you wanted a pair of a Todd Oldham shoes at Chucky's in your size, you had to come very early on and you had to be nice. Because if you weren't <laughs> nice, you weren't getting the seven and a half. When we get yeah. two or three seven and a halves, you were not going to get that one. You couldn't buy them online. And if no. Chucky's didn't have them, you'd have to get on a train or a cab to Saks Fifth Avenue. Or go, <laughs> and nobody wanted to do that. So yeah, there was so not true. so much of everything. And they were handmade in, in uh, Napoli. Like we, we used the same people that make the little sandals that sh shell covered heels on the sandals in Positano to do. It was like nuts. Hand carved tiki heels crazy weavings that like we used all the local artisans and celebrated you know Murano was right there so incredible Murano glass pieces it was really that that's an incredible way I, I don't know if even that that's I guess the couture being so very very beautiful that's the that's the exquisite part to me now is the couture is really very very interesting so many people doing beautiful beautiful things there well there was an appreciation also people i think knew that customers knew that women people they knew that they felt it and there was an appreciation when they were looking and when they were even even if they weren't buying there was such an appreciation for these couture shoes and even clothing that would be sitting on the shelves because you couldn't help but appreciate it you didn't see it there wasn't an abundance of it now you have an yeah. abundance of everything you can get anything at any time it's, a, it's just a different time. It'd be hard to parse it. I'm glad I'm I'm 
pretty thoroughly disinterested in all that because it would be hard to maneuver yeah. at this point. I'll just keep wearing my old clothes. Yeah, me and you both, but my, my clothes rip. I don't know how yours stay for 40 <laughs> years. I don't know. Maybe because I take everything in within an inch of my life. I always talk about it on the podcast. <laughs> I wear such fitted clothes, but my shit rips all the time. Todd, it drives me crazy. I say, why am I the only guy whose clothes actually rip? Who never heard of such a thing? Pants uh, rip by Tom Brown. I have Tom Brown pants. Oh, no. They rip. Things rip. My shirts rip. They fray at the collar. I don't understand how that happens, but yeah, I still wear it. I think it's cooler. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure Tom Brown would probably appreciate the rip. So where are all your beautiful clothes today? All those magnificent clothes that you made, that you designed, the ones that even Fran Dresner wore. I mean, did you get those back? Are those somewhere in a museum? They're in many museums. Yeah, when we when we uh, finished up fashion, we, we never had sample sales during the collection because I just, I didn't understand that about you presented this incredible thing where there's one off and you're selling it for discounts on people pulling on it. I just thought that was gross. So we didn't. And we packed everything archivally. So when it came time at the end, we uh, stored it all for a couple of decades and then a retrospective started a, a few years ago and was touring. So the main collection is housed at at, uh, at the Met in New York and at RISD in, in Providence, Rhode Island. They have the largest uh, collections. And then the next largest is in the North Texas Fashion Archive, which is in Denton. And then it's in many, many other private collections around. And people are still copying you. I mean, I saw a black dress that Etro did 2022, just did it, of yours that you did. It was the one with the open stomach. I'm sure you had to have seen it. Yeah, somebody showed that to me. But, you know, I mean, ideas are, are universal. I looked at many things from 20 years before I did things for inspiration too. So. But that was identical, Todd. And they even styled her with the hair and the ponytail and the big earrings. Even the styling was exactly the same. Well, I'll let you say that. I, I thought it was, it, it, they did a very nice job. It looked very pretty. It looked beautiful, but it's a big compliment to you that people are still going back and trying to copy well, we Todd. We were our own little thing, you know, we were, we were, we, we didn't really follow any trends. I think that's why the stuff still looks kind of good now is it it never it never it didn't look right at the time. So it kind of right. <laughs> right. living its own world. I don't know. So yeah, because I remember everyone stuck to a look, whether it was you, Mark, Isaac, Ralph, everyone had a specific look. If they, you know, it's not like, you know, we'd go into a showroom and we would see square toe, round toe, pointy toe platforms <laughs> and single soles. Like that never happened up until sure. what, 10 years ago, maybe 10, 12, 15 years ago. That's when all that started happening. All these big companies started, you know, taking over these designers and just throwing everything against the wall to see what would stick and i just even with clothing and that's where i think fashion you know took the turn for i guess the worst because by then people really didn't have direction from the designer well when you i mean it's kind of super easy to do and then really really hard to do fashion design i mean i was looking uh tony was showing me some collection and there was some bra calamity thing that made you look like you had six breasts that is right. like, what, <laughs> right. what, is this, what is this about? Right. But so I, you had your mistakes. You had some mistakes too. No, this wasn't mine. This oh, wasn't, it wasn't even yours. Okay. No, no, no. Oh, but oh, I definitely did. Believe me, I definitely did. But no, the thing is about is that there's where you can tell, like, you where's the designer? Like, where's the person right. that that knows how to? Like, we're we're kind of like um, chiropractors of sorts. You know, like we can we can pull tricks on you to make you better make you look better, make you feel different, you know? 
Is there anything you miss about those days? Is there anything? I miss my friend Kevin O'Quinn, but he's dead, so I'm going to miss him anyway. You know, we uh, spoke about him on the show before because um, I remember running into him, and at one time we were both trying on clothes. I think it was in Jay Lindenberg in Soho. We were both right. in this, yeah, Jay Lindenberg. We were both trying on clothes, and we've seen each other before, and we finally started to talk to each other. And ever since then, we be just became how do you? We were just city friends. We didn't exchange numbers. We never hung out, but I would see him at cafeteria on Seventh uh, Avenue, mm-hmm. and he was such a nice, nice guy, Kevin. Yeah, he's a sweetheart. Are you a so very nice. tall man? No, I'm short. And well, he was a giant. You remember, he was enormous. His hand was like a pitcher, a catcher's glove. I remember. He and it kept growing. That was part of his... Well, that was one of the problems in the, in the yeah. end. But when he would work on those girls, he had the most peculiar way of applying makeup. He would, many times, they would, he would sit on the floor and the model would sit and lie on the floor with her head in the lap. And he would use his hands to put on what many people put on with brushes and... I, it was really like watching, there was like animated stars and things around him when you watched him work. It was like, it was not, nothing about it was normal or this of this world. And the outcome was so shocking and so fast. And I, it, uh, I, I, I've, I've had my pleasure of knowing a lot of magicians, yeah, but, but oh my God, Batman, other, totally yeah. otherworldly. Yeah, it, it was incredible back in the day. I mean, you know, it was the same thing with like Andy Warhol, Francesco Scavullo. I talk about them a lot because that they were, you know, real New Yorkers. That was the whole quintessential <laughs> New York City was they were around the Upper East Side. They walked down the street and talked to each other. And it was just so surreal. You know, Debbie Harry with Keith Herring. And, you know, you'd see, it was just it was a great time. And, um, and that's that's the part of it. I think that I miss was it was more insular. Everything was more insular and kind of, you know. We had our artistic, we had our artistic neighborhoods. I feel like everything yeah. now is so spread out. There's people are just blogging from their, you know, studio apartment these days. Well, and you know, there's a great diplomacy to that. I, I appreciate that 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 our voices have been a little bit unified and so many people can speak out. The trick with that is does your voice need to be heard and spread out? You know, I I, <laughs> I think having a really good idea about um, like, you know, making sure you're doing your best best before you start spreading would be a great thing. Right. Uh, did you have any favorite models? Oh, gosh. You know, I had great times with all of them. I. Um, you had RuPaul in one of your shows. No, no. I, he, know, he was all often in the audience, but never oh, we, on the runway. Then they played his, his hit song. Was that in your show? I we, think it we, was. We debuted Supermodel. Yeah, we yes. had done a lot of clothes for Ru in the early, early days. And. My favorite, though, was, um, I mean, I, 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 there was so many of them I was in awe of. Cindy Crawford was a, a real joy, but we had a, we had a day job together. We worked at MTV on a, a show for a few years, so I knew her from there. And then um, there was a girl named Stacy McKenzie, that I, a, a Jamaican girl that just blew me away. I, she just was just amazing looking. So we, we would have had some really, I mean, all the super girls were spectacular. They were really sweet, too, and... They were great. I mean, I remember Naomi coming out and the crowd would just howl and go crazy. Well, I mean, look at her. I not know. only that, it's not only that. There's a they, these all of those women were pros. Like they had an otherworldly ability to to nail it. It's so much harder than it looks. It should look like it's nothing, and that's why people are kind of irreverent about understanding what they do or and because they're if they're as good as they are, then it should look easy to you, but it is right. not. How much did models get back then? Do you remember? What did they get for a show? Oh, 
I, I don't, I don't that know. wasn't your thing. No, you were the artist. I did meet Cindy quite a few times. She seemed like one of the most professional, sincere people. Oh man, she to was me. well, she's like a nice Midwestern girl with her family still around her, and but she was like fucking Cindy Crawford. Yeah. So, you know, it was a, I don't know. She was, she was otherworldly. Plus she looks exactly like Cindy Crawford. So many of those girls don't look like what you think they look like when they show She up. looks like herself. Cindy she Crawford looks exactly, looks exactly like. I know herself. Brad and I have met her a few times and she's beautiful and she's so down to earth. She asked me for a card, you know, when she found out from Truckies. Yeah, she's, she's like, do you have a card? I was like, you shopped in the store before. Yeah, she's, she's lovely. Were there any, uh, who was your favorite person to dress? Did you have anyone that you really had a favorite dressing? Other than Fran Dresner, she looked amazing in your clothes. Let's, you know, we already mentioned her. Any other favorites that? Well, it was really a thrill to see people that were really important to me, like Marianne Faithful or, you know, Jodie Foster or, you know, kind of Madonna yeah. was always fun to see wearing stuff. But I always liked that. But, you know, there was a, a performance artist named Disco Frida that uh, that thrilled me to get to dress. Mm. So, you know, it was kind of, I don't know, it was really fun. It was you always never fun seemed, to see. You never seemed starstruck. Am I right on that? You never no. seemed starstruck or caught up. You never seemed like you were caught up in the whole... Well, that, that, that I agree with, yeah. I mean, I, I wasn't in the middle of it. You know, I kind of... My factory was in Texas, so I ha had a house there that I would pop back and forth and I worked all the time. I mean, you saw those things, they were so complicated. Oh my God, they took up all my time. I mean, I, for, it was always working. Let me tell you, you got out at probably the best time. I did, oh my God, my timing is not great, but on this one, phew. Somebody was looking out after I nailed you. It. Brad, I nailed Brad's laughing it. at that. You nailed that. At least you know that. I and then you went one. from that, and I don't understand how you went from that to doing sustainable kids' um, clothing, toys, and writing all these books. And well, I want to talk I more about books, that. Yeah. Tell well, me got, about Kid Made Modern series. Tell me about that. That's what oh, you're doing now, right? That's your latest? Uh, I'm not working on Kid Made Modern any longer. Now we're working on several new projects. Um, we like to work with different different uh, people and, and through as many ways as possible to do creative ventures that bring joy. So um, we're really excited. There's a big project that we can't announce just yet that's coming out in the spring. We, you know, uh, we did a, a, a line of, of cre creative kits for uh, Walmart called Smarts and Crafts. And that's what um, I wanted to hear about. How did you get interested in doing things for kids? And I know why you want to do things that are sustainable. I know why you want to do it. You know, I, I'm very similar to you. I'm not a vegan, but, you know, I'm very vegan friendly. I'm very uh, concerned about the earth and where is all this crap going to go? I hate buying plastic of any kind. And with kids, it's so hard. So oh, I do God, love the yeah. fact that your stuff is sustainable. How did well, you get in? I'm sorry. Go. We're trying. We're trying. The thing about it, you know, it still breaks my heart for every Every time there's a, a paint bottle with a plastic that can't be recycled, we have to make some heartbreaking decision. It's like, do you do you merit the creativity that can come from the success? I mean, I know it's going to end up in a landfill. So we've minimized that as much as possible, but I take, take it to heart every piece of stuff we make that we're, we're a part of it. I recognize it. However... I can I can be a bellwether and inspire change. Like for instance, we worked with another big box retailer that was very wasteful, and we insisted on this other way that you know non shrink wrap, non these kinds of things, and it started inspiring them. They saw that it was possible. Uh, it's easier to do now than it was ten years ago, 
uh, and they started adapting it in other areas and adapted it to a bedding department and took all the plastics off. And I was thinking, wow, you know, that's, to me, that, that maybe was our biz biggest success with what we did in, in the kids' area was that we got them to take all the plastic off of the sheets because you can of imagine course. the volume of that stuff. So the trades, you know, they're trades, but you do your best and you try to always minimize and try to maximize something that's really great coming from it. Right. So that's you know kind of been our goal. And then I've always done lots of books along the way. So right now I've been doing my, my last book, uh, I love very much, it was on the uh, magazine called Nest Magazine. Do you remember Nest Magazine? Yes, of course I remember Nest. And well, I know then, you did a book. <laughs> yeah, that was really uh, incredible. That I just, that came out with Fiden last December and it uh, is just incredible. Joseph Holtzman is an artist that started uh, an interiors magazine that ran for about four years that was really like from another planet. Um, it, was, it was outrageously well-funded and it was one of the most extravagantly printed tomes I've ever seen. So it was really fun to to kind of figure out how to share 24 issues of what Joe did in one book. Right. How did you get inspired to do kids' books? Is it any nephews, nieces? Were you surrounded by kids? How did that uh, come about? No, I wasn't surrounded by kids. Um, you know, I, I like kids very much. I've always liked the little weirdos the best. So <laughs> I kind of make stuff for them. You know, in my head, that's who I'm making, making it for. But everyone deserves um, a well-thought-out something. And if I can be a part of making it, then I'm happy to do it. I think it's terrific. I mean, we're excited. We bought some stuff on Amazon for the kids by Todd Oldham. Now we can't wait to start reading them. Uh, oh, that's sweet. Books. Yeah. yeah there's some good excited. craft books. And um, well, uh, I can send you some stuff too. We'll get your, your address. But you but don't have to. We're, we're happy no, to know. buy. No, I know. But I, I have a few things you might that are uh, out of print you might like. So what I like about you, Todd, too, is that you're you don't let the um, the, the the eco you know the way the world sees the environment you don't let it get to you. Like I sometimes let it get to me, and I get overwhelmed, and I get anxiety with the plastic and with all the junk that I come across. You seem to have a healthier attitude towards it. You kind of try to minimize it, and you minimize it as much as you can, and you forge ahead. You don't well, let it really affect you that much. You okay. have to make a decision on what uh, the lack of affecting me is not from ignoring, um, but I I know the effects by but through example like for for instance Europe is is going to be uh, single use plastics will be outlawed shortly, and they've been making very progressive moves in in you know plant based alternatives through the years so that it'll get easier you know and easier as it goes on so I know that by forging away and having a, a very modest amount of these paint pods that end up in garbage could shift the zeitgeist, could help me get things done. It's like, here I'm speaking about the same kind of justification crap I did with shoes, right? you know, at the time. But you do things, it may not be 100% as you wish, but it can have an effect that can help you get there. In my case, with the shoes, it got non-leather shoes in Neiman Marcus, and then we were able to switch that. And with this stuff, we've been able to, you know, Children's product before we really started has been heavily gendered. Um, if it's for girls, it's pink. If it's for blue, if it's for boys, it's blue. Boys like guns, girls like Barbie. It's just bullshit. So we eliminated all of the these tropes and just thought kids deserve something great and cool, and then they can decide what they like. And, I love that, and I think that's what the whole smarts and crafts um, is about, isn't it? 
It really is. You know, that's it's really the basis of everything we're doing now. But Smarts and Crafts has got, you know, you're never going to see, I, we don't we don't include uh, children makers on any of our packaging because you should be able to see yourself on there. And if I've got a Caucasian child, any people of color are not going to see themselves. If I've got any, there's no reason to, to say this is for this. So we we just don't even don't even go close to it. And I think it, it makes me really happy that we've been able to put out comic book kits that maybe some people might think are for boys, but anybody will be happy to have. I like that. I like that. It reminds me of Isaac Mizrahi. I don't know why. At one of his shows, I saw a documentary or something. He was telling the models, I don't want any personal items on you. Take out any piercings, take off all your jewelry, and we're covering up your tattoos. He didn't want anyone to see anything. He wanted them to just see the clothes. It's almost, it reminds me of like what you want them to do. You want them to see them on the cover of these toys. Yeah, well, they just, you know, they're, they're the stars of the experience, not us. So that's why my name isn't on them. Um, if it's about, if it becomes about me, it's not about them anymore. So we're very careful to make sure that whoever's interfacing with it is the star of their moment. And we'll feel wow. good about it. You know, we, we, there's a lot of subtext that can drag us down in, in life. And we are, we try to, uh, me and my try to be as thoughtful partners, you know, human partners as we can be. And we have a lot of different types of points of view and a lot of different kinds of identifications. And we just understand that there's lots of different versions of us. Right. And I know you're working with a friend of mine, Dougie Haber. Oh, Doug. Yeah, he's great. He's a great he's guy. And his wife, Lillian, is really lovely. I will say they are very, very lovely people. Well, you know, um, they. I totally agree with you. And like most things where the top is, uh, uh, is lovely, everyone that we've ever worked with uh, there is the same. It's a great group. Yeah, he's he's quite lovely. So what what do you think you're going to be doing? I mean, I, it doesn't seem like you're the type to stop doing anything. I mean, are you going to get your pilot's license next? Go to dentistry <laughs> school? I mean, uh, <laughs> no. I, well, I have a few. I have a couple of books. I have another book on the artist Alexander, Alexander Gerard that'll be with up out with Fiden sometime next year. I'm working on a garden book. But one of the things I'm most excited about, which is, you know, it's this project, big project we're calling Maker's Shop. And uh, it'll be out in the fall. And I can't really say too much about it right now. But it's, it's for me, it goes back to all the things I loved about doing couture uh, at the time. Everything is hyper handmade. And I stitched the team back together. It's the same team that made the all the hand embroidered. Can you give us a hint? What is it called? Maker's what? Maker's shop. Maker's shop. And, yeah, and, and yeah. What is it? Is it? Is it a toy? Is it a? Is no, it a? It's a, <clears throat> Yeah, I'm going to say yes to everything because it's just it's all it's, kinds of <clears throat> things. Yeah, it's really it's not for kids. It's adults and it's 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 very immaculately made. So it's pretty high end. It's very different than anything I've done in a couple of decades. So I'm I'm excited to get out and do things that aren't made in the thousands, but are made in the the dozens, or perhaps only a handful. I like that. We have to be uh, first online for that. I remember when you did the MTV uh, television show. Oh, yeah. Those were fun. Those were fun days. And you would give everyone tips on, you know, how to do your hair, on how to make things. <laughs> oh, God. Do you remember that? And how to? It's funny, but I find myself doing that with my daughter now. I'm learning how to, like, twist her hair a certain way so it comes out better the next morning Isn't instead of great? braiding it. Well, you know, now we have um, a glorious YouTube. I know lots of people hate YouTube. But if you have a subscription, you don't get any commercials. And then you can just, you know, I feel like I, I've gone to YouTube University. I taught myself how to crochet. I, I'm an endless gardener. So I'm always learning, like watching Thai videos on how to propagate a denium. I mean, it, I love it. It's one of the, for, for people that are thirsty for information, YouTube is right. like 
bonanza. Yeah, but you should be showing people how to do it on YouTube. Like you, I would watch on YouTube. Otherwise, I hate YouTube. When my kids have it on, it drives me crazy. Well, you know what? Too much yakking. If they, yeah. they, it's, there are handfuls of people. Like there's this one crochet woman. Oh, my God. I just am in awe of her. She can give you the most complex information and just, and you got it. And so, you know, that was interesting about MTV because we learned not, it was, was not only the idea you had, but you had to communicate it. And then we were all over the world. You know, we we saw it in America, but it literally played all over the world. So you had to be careful how you how you did things. And it was a really interesting lesson on how to communicate. And so are you telling me that you also crochet? Oh yeah, yeah, I crochet. <laughs> I love it. So you also crochet. It was so I really, I mean, what don't you if, if we if I was younger, let's just put it this way, if we were in high school, I would be so jealous of you. you I mean, there isn't not you you do everything. There's well, nothing no, that you won't do. I still love to learn things. So um, you know, I I taught just go go to YouTube and, and Todd, I'm so lazy. <laughs> Todd, I am so lazy, I don't oh, okay. want to do anything. Well, there's What's the wrong with me? find out. Well, find out why why you're why you're disinterested. Find something I, that thrills you. But you know what? You have two seven year olds. Oh my God! It's your time to focus on them. Yeah, I guess so. That's a good way of looking at yeah, it. So I mean, that's a good way of looking at it. Yeah, you can't just have in. You know, I have I have a, a dog, and a, and a boyfriend. So it's a different. They have different asks of me. <laughs> seven year olds. <laughs> you know, <laughs> who requires more, the dog or, or Tony? Uh, well, I'm not sure. But the, yeah. uh, the um, it's a very it's a very i'm always amazed at parents that are generous the way mine were to give away so much of their lives to making a good kid so i know you're one of four siblings i am correct you're one of four and your family of course has seen all your success are your parents still around they are they've been a part of it my mother and tony and i started our company uh, back in the late 80s and still still at it yeah my, my, my mom is my mom and dad are, are some of my biggest heroes, and my mom is one of my biggest art heroes because she's just wildly inventive, and she had um, she had the same kind of opportunities that I had. You know, I barely graduated high school. She 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 graduated very well, but wow. I was born when she was eighteen, and then that was that. You have kids now, and so she had to give up a lot of of the trajectory that I would have imagined she would have prospered in, and instead she decided to make that with us and. And you're the oldest. I'm the eldest, and yeah, and then it goes wow. boy, girl, boy, girl. Yeah. But so, so yeah, great. amazing. It's you know, it's it's very lucky that you get to share it with your parents still, all the success that you've had. Oh, I adore them. They're just yeah, they're real heroes to me. They're absolutely lovely and sophisticated and smart, and they never. You know, they're really something. Parts of the company, right? Brad is yeah, saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. They own. We all, yes. Yeah. Yeah. We all did it together. They even loaned me my first. 50 bucks for my first roll of fabric back when I was in I was in high school. So I think I read that somewhere. You bought fabric for 50 bucks and you started making clothes. Made dresses, yeah. You made true. dresses. I did it. My grandmother bought me a box of dye from a grocery store that was going out of business for like a nickel a box and got the fabric, made them, dyed them, sold them to stores and just started from there. Amazing. That is so amazing. Todd, what a pleasure talking to you. I have to tell you, so refreshing. I love what you're doing. I love how you went from, you know, being such an iconic, terrific designer that really enhanced women's beauty. And you went now to be eco-friendly, uh, making eco-friendly things for kids. And it's amazing. Well, just trying to give it a go, but um, I'm having a great time. And I really did enjoy my time with you today. So thank you so much. Thank you, Todd. It's a pleasure. All right. Well, and good, good luck, luck to you, and I hope to see you soon. Yes.
Okay. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Rich in Life with Rich Arani. If you liked what you've heard, click subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. Or visit us at richinlife.com. That's R-I-T-C-H in life.com.